What is up, Thrive Tribe? Welcome back to the Thrive University podcast. I am so excited to be bringing in an amazing professor to drop so much knowledge and wisdom for you today. And that man is Paul Austin. And Paul is a pioneer in the 21st century responsible use of psychedelics for healing, leadership, and personal transformation. He has been featured in BBC, Forbes, and Rolling Stone for his accomplishments in entrepreneurship regarding social awareness towards the benefits of microdosing psychedelics. Paul is also the author of the book, Microdosing Psychedelics, A Practical Guide to Upgrade Your Life. And he's also the founder of two companies in the emerging psychedelic space, Third Wave and Synthesis. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation with the one and only Paul Austin. Paul Austin, welcome to the Thrive University podcast, brother. It's such a pleasure to have you. Hey Jeremy, thanks so much for for having me on. It's a it's a it's a pleasure to to be here and to be zooming and talking about all these crazy, beautiful, amazing things. Yeah, brother. And just to give the listeners a little context, you know, I came across your work, I think actually on an ad on Instagram about microdosing. And then I kind of worked through the weeds and I saw that you went on a one heart journey. Um, and I had recently gotten back from one in Mexico with Tim and Brandon. And it just seemed like a lot of things were aligned. And I was like, I need to get this guy on the pod. And as I dove more into your work, um, the more I became inspired and intrigued. So I'd love to kind of start there and, and just see uh, what came up for you during that Aya journey, I think a couple years ago, and what has transcended since. Yeah. So the one heart experience. So just so have, have you talked about this on the podcast before? So your listeners have a little context about. I have, but you can, you that. can okay. provide a little more context. Okay. So this would have been their second experience. It was in December, 2018, January, 2019 over new year's. So we showed up on like the 30th. We had our first experience the 31st, our second experience on new year's day. And then, you know, the third experience a couple of days later. So you essentially drink, Aya three times in the span of a week and stayed at this stunning place called Kinkara, which is close to San Jacinto de General in the south of Costa Rica. And it's like this sort of integrative living glamping paradise where, you know, all the food that they serve is grown on property or grown locally in the village. And, you know, there's waterfalls and there's, you know, a beautiful, um, Molaka or whatever that's called, where you actually drink the medicine, et cetera, et cetera. So um, going into that experience, I'd already been working with psychedelics for several years. So I would have been 27 or 28 for the one heart experience. And I'd started dropping acid when I was like 19 or, or yeah, 19 and mushrooms. And I was 19 had done ayahuasca for the first time about a year before that. So coming into the one heart experience, I had a little bit of prior experience with ayahuasca. I had a lot of prior experience with psychedelics and was particularly interested in, in One Heart because it sat at the intersection of psychedelics and creativity, leadership, connect, interconnectivity, um, sort of elevated states, elevated you know, well-being. And 
all of 2018, I had actually spent setting up my own retreat center called Synthesis, which is in the Netherlands, where essentially we rented out a, um, a church. We leased an old church that they had renovated into a modern day wellness center with a sauna, a room to do the ceremony and experiences, uh, apartments that were attached to it. So I'd had over 2018 some of that experience on my own in terms of the business that I was building. And then one heart just dropped me into this sort of portal of all of these other entrepreneurs and founders and creatives who were really, really interested in that intersection of psychedelics and leadership, psychedelics and creativity, psychedelics and connecting with tribe. And, you know, I'm someone who <clears throat> I keep to myself a lot. I'm more introverted. Um, I sort of show vulnerable parts of myself gradually, not immediately necessarily. Uh, I play my cards pretty close to the chest, my chest. And, you know, going through One Heart was really an opportunity to let all of that down, to allow the vulnerabilities to be seen, to really trust a group and a tribe and a community of people um, within just the span of a week. And I left that week with some incredible, you know, friends, some incredible people that I remain close connected to today, some incredible insights about my own path and my own sense of awareness. And, you know, so many of my psychedelic journeys have been a lot more internal. They've been a lot more introspective. Um, they've usually been with only one or two other people, if not alone. And what One Heart opened up was really an opportunity to connect with 30 or 40 other, other people to really let my guard down, to allow my heart to be seen, to allow my heart to be experienced in the fullness that it really is. And then to sort of love and be with many, many other people as they went through a, a similar experience. So I, at this point, cause it was more than two years ago, I don't remember any sort of like, what were the profound insights that crystallized out of that? I'll, there was one thing which I got a tattoo right after one heart. It was a lion on my, it's a lion on my chest and it has the words, no bullshit on top of it. And I remember coming out of that experience basically with this mantra of no bullshit. And, and what that means to me is essentially like maintain such a clean vessel for my everyday life through what I eat, through how I move, through the people that I interact with in the places that I live through the through the through the you know um, environments that I choose to 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 hike in or be in right just keep such a clean container such such a clean set and setting is sort of what we'd say in the psychedelic space that no bullshit comes in because only by keeping that immaculately clean container can I actually fully show up in my fullness every day and only by keeping that immaculately clean container is it really possible for, for me to show up as a leader for my business, for me to show up as a leader in my own life, right? But it all starts with that sort of, I don't even think they're boundaries necessarily, just a, a level of self-love that doesn't um, sacrifice on what I want in life and what I choose to sort of create or manifest with my existence. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful, brother. Thank you for sharing. So would you say that since that experience a little over two years ago, you've been living a little bit more open-hearted and 
open to sharing vulnerably and authentically. Um, would you say that has been one of the impactful points from, from that experience? And how is that manifested? Like, how is that manifested in business with third wave, with relationships? It's an interesting thing because just because you open your heart doesn't mean that it will continually be held. So there were a lot of situations, not a lot, there were a few situations that happened immediately after, probably for the next, for the three or four months after One Heart, where because I had opened my heart in such a raw way, I was a little naive about how that may have been received you know, with lovers or how that may have been received in business or how that may have been received in other ways. And it was fully authentic and fully needed to happen, but it led to sort of a dip before the rise, so to say. So in other words, as a result of, of One Heart, and I, I mean, full disclosure, I, I did another ayahuasca retreat after One Heart. I went to a place called Soltara. So I essentially, ostensibly drank ayahuasca seven times in two weeks, which was its own um, journey in itself. So I came out of that, well, like my heart fully open and not a, a little naive about how I went, you know, went about that. So I think my my work and my path, it's funny, I just got an astrology reading done. Um, and, and like my first ever major astrology reading, if you will. And, you know, it was about an hour and 15 minutes that where the guy was like this and this and this and this. And the one thing that he kept coming back to was that I need to soften that like, I need to, um, be tender-hearted to find my community, what he called the community of tender-hearted people. And that if my heart closes down, then daggers will come out. Are literally, literally the words that he used. And so my own path and my own journey over the last two years has been, I had that big heart opening as a result of one heart. Unfortunately, because of that big one, you know, heart opening, I placed my trust in places that were not necessarily the best places to put it. So I started working with a business partner where it wasn't fully aligned and had some negative consequences. I fell in love with a woman where it wasn't necessarily aligned and had some negative consequences. So I think the the balance with the heart opening. And the suggestibility that comes from psychedelics is to not be naive necessarily mm -hmm. and to open your heart and to be willing to trust and to be willing to connect, but to still do that in a way that allows relationships to mature and develop in their own time and to not feel a sort of manic rush to jump into things if you haven't fully gotten to really know someone who you're jumping into that commitment with on the other side. And so, no doubt my heart has opened more. No doubt that it continues to open more. No doubt that some days it's not open at all, that I go in and out of it. And, you know, back to the astrology reading, what's clear in my charts, what's clear in my path, what's clear in my own process of becoming is that for me to feel fully realized and content and present and to me for me to show up as as a leader for third wave and everything else that I'm building in the external world that I have to find that balance between heart open and um allowing things to mature and develop 
as they want to mature and develop. You know, there's a quote that I like, which is something along the lines of slow is smooth and, and smooth is fast. And so even when you're thinking about, oh, I'm, 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 you know, in this commitment or in this relationship or doing this thing, always remember that things always take longer than you think they will. And that's part of the heart opening is the patience that comes with it, the, the, the ability to not like the mind and the ego often want, want, they want to rush things. They want to see results. They want to see outcomes. They want to see money, but the heart wants to feel alive. And I think the more that we can honor that, you know, the better off we are. And it continues to be a work in progress for me. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's valuable because sometimes people listen to people like you who have had a lot of experience in this space and they think like, oh, Paul's got his shit figured out. He's all good. But it's like, like you said, it, it's it's a daily practice. It's a daily journey. So I appreciate you sharing that and talking about the progression of third wave. Like I mentioned, I first became aware of you a few months ago and kind of dove into the microdosing course that you offer, which is super thorough and powerful. And we'll definitely link that in the show notes and encourage people to check that out. How has that journey kind of progressed? Like when did the third wave start in terms of your entrepreneurship journey? And as the futuristic thinker that you are, I'm curious to know, like, what are some things on the horizon? I know you mentioned you have some exciting projects coming up. Yeah. So back like a little background and context on third wave and then how it's, how it's growing and developing. So I bought the domain name, the original domain name, September 1st, 2015. So about five and a half years ago, it was inspired from an acid trip that I had with two friends in Budapest. So we woke up 6.30 a.m. I served them the Eucharist, which was the acid tab or the two acid tabs, however you want to put that. And then we grabbed an Uber and went up into the hills around Budapest. And there's a beautiful, beautiful park that's about 25 minutes outside that overlooks all of Budapest, that overlooks the Danube, that overlooks all the hills. And the, you know, it's just, it's stunning. And we were up there probably for eight, nine, 10 hours. Uh, we were on about two and a half tabs of, uh, of LSD and just like witnessing the magic that is a beautiful LSD experience. And as we were coming down, we went back into the city. We, you know, we got dinner. We were talking about, you know, the experience and, and what just happened. And as that unfurled over the next few days, we were really trying to pinpoint like what is going on with psychedelics right now? Now, mind you, this is back in 2015. This is before Michael Pollan's book. This is before a lot of the research that came out. This is before hundreds of millions of dollars started to pour into you know, public markets. This was like really, really early on. And essentially, the conclusion that we came to is at that point in time, there was really only one website resource around psychedelics, and that was called Arrowhead. Arrowhead is still around. Um, and Arrowhead is fantastic. It's a nonprofit. It has information about all the drugs, not just psychedelics, but any and every drug that you can imagine. It's basically a Wikipedia for drugs. And it has a user interface from like, you know, 1994, you know, sort of that, that time. It's, it's very outdated. So what we said is let's, let's create a platform that in, helps to inform people about responsible psychedelic use. Let's 
do it in such a way that appeals to a more mainstream narrative, people who wouldn't necessarily identify as a hippie or as a counterculture, but would really see this as not necessarily a way to drop out of society and culture, but as a tool to integrate, Mm -hmm. to create a better world for everyone. And then let's focus on microdosing because microdosing was and still is pretty hot. And as, as you just, I think before we went live, as you talked about with your TikTok videos and all the, all the traction that you got with that. Um, so we were like, let's focus on microdosing because from a psychological perspective, it's much easier to get people to take a small step than a big leap. So a lot of folks are very hesitant to work with high doses of psychedelics because they are ego dissolving. And the ego will intuitively fight against anything that is attempting to dissolve it. And the fear is the usually biggest response of the ego. So if you get people to start microdosing, then eventually they recognize the benefits of it and they're much more willing to consider a high dose and a ceremonial journey. So that was sort of the philosophy behind starting it. So that was 2015. I mean, to to fast track a little bit, um, 2016 and 2017 was a lot of public speaking. It was a lot of, you know, going to tech conferences and organizing my own events and just talking about this is what microdosing is. This is what it does. This is what psychedelics are. These are the pros and cons, just further amplifying third wave through those, through the, through those sort of talks and gigs and all that. And then 2018 launching Synthesis, which is, was a legal psilocybin retreat center in the Netherlands. It's been on pause the last year because of COVID, but they're still doing a practitioner training, a few other things. And then in 2019, came back, focused on third wave full-time, raised our first round of small investment. And you know the positioning, the vision, all of that has remained more or less the same as it was in 2015, which was how do, you, how do we build the front door into psychedelics for millions of people? By starting with education, so how do we empower the end user to make rational and responsible decisions on what's best for them using our platform and using the context? And now how that's growing and developing is, you know, we're rolling out a directory of retreat centers, clinics, therapists, and coaches. So now with Third Wave, not only can you educate yourself about responsible psychedelic use, but you can also now find a trusted, better provider who, okay, now that I know about psychedelics, well, how do I actually go do this with someone who I trust? And so that's sort of what we're building out now. We have a microdosing supplement that will roll out in the near future as well. Um, We're going to roll basically like a whole CPG line, microdosing supplements, mushroom grow kits, integration boxes. Because really what we're looking to do is, is... for the millions and millions and millions of people who are becoming interested in psychedelics and interested in using them as a tool for healing, for wellness, for leadership development, how can we build a platform that basically sherpas someone from knowing nothing at all about psychedelics, being totally psychedelic naive, to, okay, I want to have my first ayahuasca or first ketamine or first psilocybin experience, to, okay, now I want to microdose to help integrate that experience to, okay, now I want to have my next experience, Mm -hmm. whatever that might be. And then eventually, like a lot of folks and probably yourself included as a coach are interested in how these tools can then be integrated for the clients that they're working with. So if I actually want to work professionally with psychedelics, if I want to help my clients to microdose, if I want to help, you know, if I'm a therapist or a psychiatrist or whatever, if I want to help 
you know, my if I want to guide my my clients through experiences, how do I do that? What's what's the right approach to take? How do I go through that? So on a very practical fundamental level, what we're teaching people is the skill of responsible psychedelic use. So just like you can learn how to cook, just like you can learn how to write, just like you can learn how to do jujitsu, you can also learn how to use psychedelics in very crafty, intentional ways that accelerate certain outcomes. So that's like on a practical level, right? The skill of psychedelic use. And, and how I break that up is there's microdoses, there's macrodoses, like we both experience with one heart. And then there's supporting modalities, breathwork, yoga, meditation, hot, cold, thermogenesis, whatever else. So like microdoses, macrodoses, supporting modalities. There is the frequency at which you do them once every three months, once every six months, once every year, right? A macrodose might be once every six months. A microdose might be, you know, three times a week. Alternative modalities like meditation are probably every day. And then... Um, there's the substance that you're working with, right? Like MDMA is really good for trauma, for uh, PTSD, for healing attachment wounds, for, you know, it's not that intense. It's fairly manageable. Ayahuasca is really great for opening the crown chakra, for transcendence, for, you know, creativity, for really, really like deep breakthroughs. Psilocybin is great for this. Ketamine is great for that. So in a way, we we're building this matrices, these matrices to help teach psychedelic literacy to help teach the skill of responsible psychedelic use. Now, if I'm able, if I'm able to sort of zoom out a little bit and get a little more meta here, what we're also teaching is what I'm, is what I call, um, we're teaching people how to listen. And what I mean by that is we're teaching people the value of going inwards. We're teaching people the value of, 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 not buying into the illusion of our external world and recognizing that by going inwards and by listening to themselves that they can unlock more power and depth and imagination and creativity than they've ever imagined, right? And that psychedelics are one tool to do that. And like I said, breathwork, yoga, meditation, those are other tools to do that. And that by creating a safe container for folks to go through with that, we're, we're helping society develop the next layer of depth. And why that is so important is because everyone talks about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to evolve as a human or, you know, we're trying to evolve as a species or, you know, I'm growing and I'm developing and I'm maturing and I'm elevating and, you know, you name it. So much of the focus is on the, the growing of the branches, the growing of the tree, if you will, right? But Carl Jung, who's a really famous Swiss psychologist, psychoanalyst, always talked about, you know, as above, so below. And so the tree, so to say, can only flourish and grow as much as the roots have, have, have like, have the depth. Right. So ostensibly, a human can only grow and evolve from a light perspective, right? In the light, they, it, it's a leadership, it's creativity, it's whatever else. All the external things can only grow and evolve to the level of depth that one has cultivated, to the level of understanding that one has of the, the shadow, to the level of understanding that one has of its dark side, to the things that we often repress or suppress in the subconscious and unconscious. So much of this work with psychedelics, so much of the skill of responsible psychedelic use is having the courage then to go, okay, let's shine a light 
in that subconscious and the unconscious. Let's shine a light in those places that we haven't wanted to look because only by shining a light in those places can we actually further glow and grow and flourish. So mm-hmm. to say. So it's important, you know, like people don't think about it. Like some, a lot of folks just, you know, they want to jump in the deep end right away. They want to go get their fucking socks knocked off with 5-MeO DMT. And I think that is unfortunate because there's so much more value to understanding that this isn't a race, Mm. right? Enlightenment isn't a race. Maturity isn't a race. Um, Awareness isn't a race, but it's something that needs to be, first, it's a commitment, right? It's a commitment that we make for the rest of our lives to better understand ourselves. And then once we've made that commitment, it's simply the intuition to follow the path and the journey as it may lead. And for so many folks, that's like, just start with microdosing, just do MDMA therapy, just do a little bit of mushrooms. And then as you start to sort of become more and more aware, then go and dive in the deep end, go do 5-MEO, go do ayahuasca. But too many people, from what I've noticed, just jump right in the deep end right away. And people like you and me as entrepreneurs, we're used to handling uncertainty. We're used to handling risk. A lot of folks aren't. And so that's often just why I talk about like psychedelic literacy, start in the shallow end, become more comfortable there. And then eventually like you can get into the more sort of wacky shamanistic, you know, extraterrestrial shit that we know is that we know is out there. Yeah. I love that reference too, that you make and you, you have a video on this in the course. I think it's like one of the first videos actually where you're talking about microdosing being the shallow end of the pool and the macro doses, the things that you mentioned are probably more appropriate to do once, twice a year. That's the deep end. And it's like, if you're three or four years old, I know I had swimming lessons. Like I started with the little floaty things, you know, I had all the protection necessary in the shallow end first. And I had a guide with me, making sure I'm good to go before I tried even venturing off into like the five, six, seven feet uh, edge of the pool. And I think it's a really powerful reference that you make there. And, And also, you know, I've heard you talk about integrating different wearable technology. Like I'm pretty sure I see you with an aura ring right now. Yeah. And I'm curious, while I also see the importance of this and like correlating and becoming more aware of our HRV and our sleep patterns, you mentioned that intuition piece that is so important. The ability to listen to yourself and actually tune in like, yeah, my sleep score might say 92 and my readiness might be high, but like, I just feel like I need to take it easy today. Um, How do we cultivate that awareness where we don't become too dependent on these metrics from things like the aura ring and we balance them out with that sense of intuition? So there are a couple points that I'll make here. I'm reading this really good book. It's actually right next to me called Mastering Leadership, an integrated framework for breakthrough performance and extraordinary business results. And in this book in particular, and this is sort of everywhere, but in that book in particular, it talks about how most leaders make decisions on intuition 
And then only afterwards do they support it with data, right? So in other words, as a leader, we're really looking at what are we choosing to create? What is the outcome that we want? And then what's the process that we need to get there? What we do not do is we don't say, what's the process before we figure out the outcome? We figure out the outcome first. So I think when it comes to like listening to our intuition and what's the balance there between intuition and like the day-to-day of wearables, if you will, right? I think the intuition allows us to set the North Star and the compass. The intuition is the, the, the sort of muse within us, with, within us that gets us to dream about the impossible and then to, to, to just go, okay, I want to do that. I choose that. I want to create that. I want to be that, right? That's where the intuition is. It's that guiding North Star that's within us that we're honoring and paying attention to every day. And along that path, right, of, of, of the North Star, of getting to that outcome that we want, that our intuition has helped us to, to imagine. Along that path, there are inevitably going to be little changes and adaptations that we have to make to continue to stay present, right? Because only by continuing to come back to presence, continuing to come back to our center, can we, can we cultivate that sense of intuition on an ongoing basis? And I think what wearables do, what data does, what technology does, is it just helps us to become aware of when we're off center. It helps us to become aware of when, you know, like things might be a little off. You know, you, you gave the example of the aura ring. I think that is super on point. Like, I know that if my sleep score is, be, be, you know, below 80 for enough days in a row, then I probably need like a week off or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, or if, you know, my deep sleep isn't what it is because I've been smoking too much weed, for example, you know, it's probably a good sign that, okay, cut off the weed for a while, like get back into deep sleep and like heal in that way as you need to. So I think the, the data, the tracking, is something that just helps us to stay in check. It's a, it's, it's, it's a layer of accountability that maybe wasn't there before. So that way we stay honest with ourselves because although the intuition is so helpful at starting that North Star and North Compass, we also have a lot of biases that sort of get in the way of that. You know, we have a lot of, we basically, we lie to ourselves all the time. And there's, there are a lot of people, even myself, like I'm very honest, right? No bullshit. But also I know I lie, my, lie to myself more than I want. And so I think the only way to get to the outcome that we want is by being as objective as possible in the here and now about what is true. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, one of the core ways that that happens, understanding truth, understanding you know, the here and now is potentially through wearable technology. Because it keeps, like I said, it's sort of it, it. It's a level of accountability, and and what it is now is fairly minor. I think you know we have the Aura Ring, we have Fitbits. Uh, there's something called glucose monitoring now through a company called Levels, which will constantly monitor your glucose based on what you eat. Um, you know, you can do blood tests and you know measure testosterone, measure cortisol, measure other things like that. I don't, I don't personally do that. There's also tests coming out that measure gut health and gut bacteria. Right. Have a sense of what working, what's working and what's not. But I find that most of that is like dialing in the last 5%. Once we begin to heal trauma, like significant parts of trauma, 
that usually clears up 80% of it, right? Like if you're still eating like shit, you, you probably still have trauma you haven't been dealt with. If you're not exercising well, you probably still have trauma that you're, you're dealt with. If you're not sleeping well, you probably still have trauma that you haven't dealt with, right? So I think the, the, the core thing to focus on is focus on the big boulders, right? And use MDMA, use psilocybin, use something like ayahuasca, do it with a great guy, do it in a safe container, clear out that trauma that's, you know, that shadow that's, that's hiding and manifesting in your subconscious and unconscious that keeps making you do shit that you don't want to do. Clear that out, heal that. And then once that's the case, once you feel like I feel whole, I feel good, then I think that's where a lot of the, the sort of wearable technology can add value. Until you get to that point though, I feel like, what's that saying? Um, penny wise, pound foolish. Is that the, is that the saying? We'll go with wise penny foolish. I'm, it's I'm essentially like that one. I'm trusting yeah. you on that one. Um, yeah, no, I, I feel you hundred percent. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Will Cole says that you can't heal a body that you hate. And when you were explaining that to me, that's what came to mind because, you know, I, I coach a lot of people just on the full three, 360 health approach, including microdosing. Um, I actually would love to send you some of these these are mixed with, um, oh, I have uh, some. yeah, it's 250 milligrams of, of psilocybin with also 400 milligrams of lion's mane and 400 milligrams of cordyceps and just got a lot of good results with this blend. But, but yeah, man, like you can eat super clean, you can move your body consistently and those things are super instrumental. But if you still have that unsolved trauma and you keep on pushing through it without truly addressing it, like that's always going to linger. And I'm curious to know, like, what was maybe one of the biggest areas of trauma that you went through in your healing journey or that you continue to work through, if you don't mind sharing? What up Thrive Tribe? Sorry for interrupting today's show, but I just wanted to remind you that my free microdosing course is live and I'm so excited to put this out into the universe. I know it is going to have a profound impact and really the intention behind it is to just provide you with more information, more knowledge so you can decide if this is a practice that you want to incorporate into your life. Microdosing has had a very pivotal role in my growth, my expansion the last year and a half, and I've implemented it with clients and family members and had a lot of really positive results. And I want you to keep an open mind and have access to these tools. I love you so much. And check out that link in the show notes to get access to that guide. And let's get back to the show. Yeah. So, you know, there's a saying that like your greatest wound is also your greatest gift, right? Because the wound is where the light comes in, so to say. I was fortunate enough that I had a very good upbringing. My parents were still together. They were super loving. You know, I went to church every Sunday, which was a fucking pain in the neck, but you know, that is what it is. Um, I had no adverse childhood experiences is, is, is a way of putting that, you know, and an adverse childhood experience would be 
abuse would be sexual assault would be um you know something that's like that that that's that's traumatizing and a lot of folks go through that that's how most folks are traumatized that's where most depression addiction anxiety comes from is adverse childhood experiences so i have i did not have any of those thankfully now even if someone is fortunate enough not to have any adverse childhood experiences um you're still a human there's still stuff that you go to go through as an adolescent so for me the core one was um what's a good way of putting it like not feeling accepted by my peer group would be a good way of putting it right like feeling like a little bit of a social outcast when i was ele- like 10 11 12 right i was just i was teased a lot i was made fun of a lot i was um I didn't have a lot of friends necessarily in, in elementary school and, and middle school. I was kind of dorky and nerdy. I picked my nose in class. I wore terrible clothes. I like, you know, I, and I also, I did whatever the fuck I wanted. I would bleach my hair. I would, you know, read a book. I would read my own books in the middle of class. Like I was just always, I've always been like, I don't give a fuck. I'll just do this. But then, you know, and I was, I was like that when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, cause my parents loved me and they wanted me to be the totally unique, creative, weird person that I am. But of course, once you get to being 10, 11, 12, there's a natural pressure to fit in and be liked because that's your peer group that, you know, it's like survival. So then throughout much of high school and throughout much of college and, you know, as I started to work on myself, so to say, as I started to bring more awareness, I realized that, oh, the issue isn't with me, right? Because I took on all the shame around, well, something must be wrong with me if, if, I'm, if I'm getting teased and mocked and, you know, like whatever, like something must be wrong with me. And what I learned through those psychedelic experiences is that nothing is wrong with me, I'm perfectly good the way that I am. Like, yeah, we all have our little things and 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 whatnot, but like I'm great. The 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 issue is that the issue is external, right? The issue is more the the culture that we've been raised in is is very superficial and shallow. The issue is that people care a lot more about, you know, the money in their bank account than um maybe the, the quality of the work that they do or the integrity of the work that they do. People care a lot more about sort of their greedy, selfish desires than they do about, you know, a sick and dying planet that we're that we're all aware of. So there is this sort of there's this toxic culture of of consumerism, this toxic culture of extractivism, the toxic culture of, you know, just people being really mean and, and uncompassionate. And so when I had those first psychedelic experiences, when I was 19 and 20 with LSD and psilocybin, the core insight that I walked away from that with was I've learned what it means to be totally and completely free through these experiences. I want to build a lifestyle in a way that enables that freedom on a sort of everlasting basis. And then in creating that freedom for myself, I want to build a business, build a platform, write books, inspire other folks about how they reach a similar level of freedom. Right? Because what I came to realize is that my trauma, so to say, was, was essentially... Um, me not feeling comfortable with my uniqueness, me not feeling comfortable in my full self-expression, me not feeling comfortable in being as free as I wanted, right? And, and, and a lot of 
what I'll call mediocre people. And I want to be clear that most people are mediocre. Um, most people are normal, right? There's nothing worse than being normal. So most people hate that. You know, they want to tear it down. You know, they, they want to bring people down to their level. They want to whatever else. And I think we're at a point in time now where we don't want to pull anyone down, right? We always want to ask the question of how do we lift others up, right? How do we lift, you know, other, other people up so they can lift other people up around them? How do we inspire leaders to become their full selves? How do we inspire managers to be fully expressed and authentic? How do we inspire our coaches and our friends and our family members to be fully okay with who they are? And, um, and I think that to me is, is again, getting back to like third wave and synthesis and all this psychedelic stuff, it's about psychedelics, yes, but it's really about how do we elevate human consciousness because humanity is mired in such an existential crisis. You know, Einstein had a quote, which is like, you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that created it, right? And so if we're to solve this existential crisis, we have to ask the difficult questions about how do we inspire those who are creating and building these new systems to elevate their consciousness so that we can actually come up, not even with solutions, but so that we can create the new model, right? Buckminster Fuller has another quote, right? Don't fight the old model, create a new model that makes the old model obsolete. And so when it comes to how we're inspiring people, what One Heart is doing, what we're doing with synthesis, the container that we're creating with Third Wave, it's giving people the tools to elevate their consciousness so that we can create this new model of society, this new model of living that we feel so called to on a soul level. We're just sort of stuck in this in-between phase where things are getting really fucked up most places and that new model hasn't quite essentially been built yet. Mm. So many different tangents that we can take this, but I want to just kind of refer back to the, the idea that you shared when you were an adolescent. And I feel like I can definitely relate to that because I personally, you know, my parents are still together, super grateful that I didn't have one of those super traumatic experiences as a child. And one of the things that I really processed and continue to work through is that, you know, even these small traumas that we think might be insignificant. And I actually used to feel guilty, bro, because I felt like, like I didn't have any traumas. Like I would hear stories. And I'm like, fuck man. Like I can't believe that person is still around and they overcame that adversity. Like I've been so privileged and that's true. But like one of the things that came up for me was, in the most recent one, I, I first did Aya a couple years ago in Peru, but most recently was like, my brother has battled depression for, I have one older brother, he's 35, I'm 30. And uh, for the last two decades, man, it's been you know on and off SSRIs and going through that painful journey, that trajectory that's up and down like a wave. And, um, you know, I realized through my Aya journey that like, because I knew how much pain my brother was experiencing, how much pain he was, he, my parents were experiencing because of his suffering. 
I closed off. Like when I was experiencing challenges, like I would rarely share them because I didn't want to add to their stress. I didn't want to add to their level of pain. So I would oftentimes do things and try to fight through things on my own. And the narrative that I created was like, I'm unsupported. You know, uh, there's a lack of reciprocity in my relationships because I feel like I'm always supporting other people and, and offering help and love and I'm not getting it back in return. But I was kind of the source of that because I wasn't fully open to receiving. And it's, it's just really interesting how these different downloads transcend um, through our experiences. So I appreciate you sharing that. And one of the things that you really, that, that, that I also took away from that was um, the importance. Well, I guess this is more of a question, bro. Like with everything you're creating now uh, and I know your ambitions are so big and how do you continue to create from a space of love and intention and not get sucked in by the matrix because ultimately you know social media and these different outlets they're a necessary part of creating impact in 2021 so i'm, I'm curious to know like how you maneuver and how you create a balance that serves you as you grow your business and mission and also stay grounded um, in your beliefs and everything yeah, so there, there are like a few perspectives to share. One is always focusing on the long term. So in other words, don't make short-term sacrifices because they're good in the short term, but they might not pay off in the long term. What we've all would have always paid attention to with Third Wave is build the community, build the audience, build the content, build the trust, right? Like just really do a great job of focusing on where this will land in 30 years. Mm. And let that dictate the three month, the six month, the twelve month strategic direction, right? Um, I think that's 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 key point number one is n like if you're working in why well, well one if you're working at all I think you should always be working towards a bigger vision, a bigger purpose. Um, you know, just climbing a ladder so to say to get the next promotion is soul sucking and not worth it. So I think always focusing on what's the bigger purpose, what's the bigger vision, and how as this actually really contributing to making the world a better place. And of course, it's been used and and sort of perverted by so many companies now. And so I, I think it's important to remember that, like, um, contribution, being in service, and being a steward for something that's greater than you is what so much of this, this work is about, right? And having those reminders, right? If I'm go, going back now to the short term, like day to day, how do I show up? Week to week, how do I show up? Month to month, how do I show up? Like, again, I'd be lying to you if I said, oh, I'm good all the time. Like running a business is stressful. I got to figure out well, it's a big puzzle to figure out, you know, and we got 15 people. We have to figure out revenue. We have to figure out hiring. We have to figure out strategic direction. There has to be investment. There, like there's a lot of things to, to, to move and fit together as part of that, you know, overall 
strategy. So there are definitely days and even weeks and sometimes months where I'm fucking, I'm stressed. I'm not necessarily in the best mood. I, I do my, you know, I still have my practices, meditation, going outside, but like, and that keeps me grounded, but like sometimes I just need to fuck off for like a week or two weeks or three weeks, right? So I think Hence why day to day, exactly, yeah. Day to day, so I can wrestle grizzly bears in my backyard. They're coming out of hibernation. I've been you know, microdosing and then going out and search for for a grizzly bear to to fight. But you know, I haven't quite. Let's haven't go. Quite yeah, I'm kidding. But that would be awesome. It reminds me of Revenant, the Revenant, and DiCaprio, and that one scene. So, um, so I think long term, right? Like, how do I keep that integrated? It's always what's the long-term vision, what's what's serving the long-term vision, right? Like specifically how I think about that with Third Wave is I'm the founder, I'm the sole founder of Third Wave. I'm the CEO and have been the CEO. At some point, I will not be the CEO. At some point, I might not even be a chairman. I might, I, At some point, I might not even be involved at all with Third Wave. And I still want Third Wave to continue to grow and thrive and develop. So it's like, I'm birthing this, like I'm its dad, so to say. And, you know, the first five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, I'm going to continue to make sure that it comes out into the world in a really beautiful way. But it's a third wave is a 30, 40, 60, 100 year vision, right? And, and I need to inspire enough energy into it to, to ensure that it lives. But inevitably, there will be other people who come along and say, no, I, let me take this. Let me take responsibility for this. Let me help grow this and evolve it and develop it to its next level and stage, whatever that might be. Mm. So again, that's the long term. Short term is day-to-day practices, meditation, hot, cold thermogenesis, breath work, yoga, going hiking. I have a coach, which helps phenomenally. So having a coach just to help organize all the fucked up things that are going on in my head and, and the stress and that, she helps keep me accountable. And then I think the, the, the between that, right? The immediate day-to-day and the long-term vision, the between that is... How do you just find a sustainable path? You know, how are you mindful about like this is part of my life, but this isn't my life? And that's something that I continue to struggle with in a way. How do I find the the spaces for a week off where I just I'm not on the computer, I don't talk to anyone, I don't do any work, I'm just totally fully unplugged, or maybe two weeks off. Right. Mm-hmm. So so between that 30-year vision and the day-to-day. It's just a matter of, again, touching back into that intuition and asking yourself, okay, like what feels appropriate? You know, mm-hmm. like maybe like maybe I need a week off here. Maybe I need a four-day weekend here. Maybe I don't want to work Mondays anymore, right? Like as an entrepreneur, we can sort of cultivate that schedule. And then it's just up to us to ensure that we have the right team in place to be able to carry the responsibility that we need to be carried. I love it. So... Uh, and that's beautiful, man. So you have 15, you have 15 full-time employees, full f- 15 full-time team members at third wave now. Not full-time. I would say like five to six of us are full-time. I would say probably five or six of us are half-time. And then we have five to seven to 10, depending on how you define it as like other parts of the team. We are currently raising investment. So that will grow into probably 15 to 20 full-time people by the end of this year. Yeah. Um, but maybe not, you know, maybe we'll just keep it at 10. I think what I've always learned and, and I basically bootstrapped this entire thing. We've raised a small, small, small amount of investment. Uh, but what I've learned through that process is, again, if this is a long-term vision or a long-term path, then there's no need to try to figure out how do we scale to $100 million. 
within three years. And it probably yeah. relieves a lot of the anxiety that comes with that. Um, now, a lot of people have heard of microdosing for potentially alleviating anxiety, depression. But what I want to ask you and, and dive deeper into is how 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 has microdosing helped elevate you as a leader in terms of creativity, flow state, compassion, all of these different elements? Because man, like I'm in the same process of building out my team and it's not easy, like creating systems and being patient and all of these practices that it requires. So um, talk about some of these other elements that microdosing can really help support that maybe aren't as discussed uh, mainstream wise. Hmm. So it comes back to like... A lot of the things that we talked about already today, self-awareness, listening, and depth, right? And probably I would also add into that adaptability. How do we learn quickly, mm-hmm. right? So with self-awareness, the more aware you become of a, as the leader of what your strengths and what your weaknesses are, the better that is for hiring and for building a team because as you become more aware of what you can't do, then you hire the people that you need to be able to do those things. So microdosing sort of on a service level from a leadership perspective is just how do you cultivate greater self-awareness? Yeah. How do you cultivate, you know, greater perspective? How do you, how do you, how do you sit with whatever's coming up and listen to it and look at it and, and, and view it? And that's the second thing is listening, right? Like so much of being a great leader is listening. And mm-hmm. empathizing and understanding. And as the leader, you should be talking the least, right? And instead asking the best questions, right? Leaders ask the best questions. Mm. So as a leader, how can you look at microdosing as a way to help cultivate more patience, more listening, more equanimity? Mm. Um, that's another way that it's really helped with my own leadership development. I mentioned depth which goes back into self-awareness a little bit, right? The deeper that we go, the more that we become aware of that we've either repressed or suppressed, mm-hmm. the, the more that becomes integrated into our entire being. Um, and the last point is adaptability and learning. So psychedelics activate something called the 5-HT2A receptor. It's one of 12 serotonin receptors in the brain. And it happens to be a receptor that's significantly tied to what is called BDNF production, brain-derived neurotropic factor. And BDNF production is intricately linked to neuroplasticity. So in other words, the more BDNF that you create, the more plastic your brain is. And the more plastic your brain is, the easier it is for it to learn and adapt to new things. Mm. So that's a sort of neurobiological perspective as to why microdosing helps. I think a more sort of meta way of putting that is the less ego you have, the less ego that gets in the way, right? The more that you can listen, the more that you can bring awareness and presence to every situation, then naturally the quicker that you will learn, the quicker that you will adapt to new situations. And leaders have to be able, especially nowadays, to adapt to novel, chaotic, and uncertain situations 
where a ton of new information and data is thrown at them and they have to listen to it, digest it, integrate it. And then from that integration, create a new iteration on the path towards the North Star. Mm-hmm. Right? Because as a leader, I'm reading this book. I already mentioned it, but I'll, I'll just mention it again. Mastering Leadership. We'll link to it in the, the show author? notes. Um, Robert Anderson and William Adams. I think link, linking to it in the show notes would be great. They, um, they talk about there are two things that are directly related to leadership success. One is the vision of the leader, right? That's, that's actually number one. The clearer the vision, the more successful the business will become. And so the clearer you can chart the North Star, chart the path to the mountaintop, the more likely you will at being successful about following that. The second thing is teamwork. Hmm. The more you listen, the more empathetic you are, the more aware that you are, the more you get everyone on the same page, the more effective of a leader you can be and become. And so microdosing, just to review, I would say narrowing it down a little bit, it's really three thing, three core things. Awareness. And as part of that awareness is the vision of whatever you're working on. Um, listening. Right. And how do we listen to our team? How do we listen to the market? How do we listen to the trends? Right. That's going to really help with teamwork. And then adaptability and learning, right? Activates the 5-HG2A receptor consistently. And as a leader, there's so much new information coming in all the time. How do we adapt and shift and change so that we can slightly course correct as we need to along our path uh, towards greatness? Love it, brother. What's the biggest pivot or adaptation you've made in the last year as our whole world has kind of gone through this uh, awakening. Is there something that comes to mind for you personally? Hmm. Yeah, I let go of a lot of resentment and anger. So I brought in a coach about a year ago. I worked with one coach for four months. He was like, you're going to need someone who's even a higher level. So he recommended a second coach that I started working with and we worked together for a few months. And then she started to like really go in and just brought up all this awareness that I didn't realize I had, which is that I still was holding on to a lot of anger and resentment, anger about um, psychedelics being illegal or resentment around how fucked up our system is or anger around, Mm. you know, whatever else it might be. I just had a lot of sort of unconscious anger and unconscious resentment. And there was something that she did that just made that come out where I just started to be a lot softer. I started to to be a lot kinder in all sorts of situations. Um, And I also saw how that anger and resentment how I had projected that anger and resentment in past situations and how it got me in trouble. Mm. Um, And it was often tied to like attention seeking behavior. So in other words, I would be angry or resentful in public and it would cause a big splash, but ultimately it was just seeking attention for myself rather than 
being intentional about saying X, Y, and Z to really contribute to third wave or contribute to something greater or whatever it is. So something at the intersection of there has been a key awareness. You know, COVID itself was pretty, like, I mean, there's all this stuff going on about is COVID real, is COVID not real, vaccines, no vaccines, like forgetting all that for a minute. Just the the sort of societal shifts that occurred as a result of COVID. I had essentially been living for the last seven years anyway, remote work, working at home, um, you know, like all those sorts of things I was already prepped and prepared for. So like quarantine sucked and wasn't the greatest. And, you know, like dating has not been great by any stretch of the imagination Um, or just meeting people in general. Is that like social stuff has not been great. But because of all the work that I've done with psychedelics and I just like, I'm an introvert. I spend a lot of time alone anyway. You know, there's definitely been some down moments where I've been like, yeah, it'd be nice to be around folks in a community right now, but also like, that's just part of it at the moment. Um, so I've, 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 I've learned to cultivate patience in you know, those sorts of situations. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, bro. That's not that's not an easy thing to, I guess, just to own up that you were having these behaviors that were seeking attention without you maybe even having that awareness at the time. Now, I listened to a podcast that you did with James Fadiman and with our mutual friend, Tim, and they both kind of said something similar in the fact that like they're, they they both kind of acknowledged you for your growth as an individual. And I think it was James who said like, you know, Paul, there's a couple of times where I didn't, I didn't really like you. Um, and you know, we're still here doing this podcast. We're still buddies. Well, well there, there was a little context in there, which the, the podcast is about the multiplicity of selves. So we were talking about how in the self, and he's like, there were there were selves of Paul that I didn't really appreciate or didn't really like, you know. And to your point, like I had to grow and evolve and learn a lot of things through that. And that stretches back to prior COVID. That actually stretches back to what happened as a result of One Heart, which... Uh, which was a huge shift. And that's what Tim was speaking to as well, right? Tim and Jim, I've known both of them for about the same length of time, Jim a little bit longer. And so they've seen the trajectory of, you know, like I was Jim, I've known Jim since I was 2016, 26, before I really got all this media and had all this attention and all these things. Like when you're in your mid twenties and you know, Rolling Stone profiles you and, you know, you're speaking at South by Southwest and, you know, there's a lot of beautiful women that, you know, you're starting to like, it It goes to your head. Like it just goes to your head. Like it's, and it's hard to like learn that until you go through it. And so essentially I had a situation where it's sort of like Icarus, the Greek mythological character who flies too close to the sun. So his wings get burned off and he, crashes into the ocean, I would say a similar thing happened. And so essentially what Tim and Jim were both speaking to was um, me climbing out of that and and doing the work necessary to, to make that happen. Love it. Yeah. I, I needed to, I needed to just touch on that. Um, I know. It's I know great that you listened to both though. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that you. Of course. I've got to do my homework. You got to do your homework. Yeah, that's right. 
I'm, I'm curious, uh, Paul, because again, I know you're involved with a couple of the companies that are now being publicly traded. I think you mentioned um, Cybin and, and Field Trip Health, which I've actually invested into both of those because I really resonated with kind of the leadership um, of both of those companies. And with all of these for-profit psychedelic uh, medicine companies coming up and there's definitely some questionable intentions. I know a lot of people have recently been coming at Compass Pathways for filing all these different IPs. And I'm just curious, I know we don't have much time, but I'd love just your insights on the current landscape and you know where, if maybe there's a couple of companies that you really resonate with that you think are going to succeed and make a huge impact and and be kind of the leaders in that space the next five to 10 years and 20, 30 years. Um, curious to know your thoughts. So I'm an advisor to Cybin. I am a co-founder of Synthesis and then a founder of Third Wave. I, I know Field Trip and the guys at Field Trip, but I'm not directly involved with, with what they're up to. And then I'm also an advisor to another company called Intium, but they're not publicly traded yet. They're just starting to get up and going. So just just to, to help clarify that and everything going on there. Um, so two things to your point. One is sort of the future of the psychedelic space and who I think will be most successful. And then two, who, which companies do I believe in now that are currently available, You know, that are currently, let's say, publicly traded, right? Um, so to say. So one, whenever I think about business, the future of X, Y, and Z, how things will develop. I always think about this concept called attractor points, mm. right? So as an example, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates both recognize that inevitably all of society would become digitized, right? So digitization of society was a massive attractor point that they saw far in the future. And they both knew as entrepreneurs that if they built businesses that fit within that narrative, that those businesses would inevitably become very successful. So mm -hmm. Apple and Microsoft, right? Digitization of society. They saw that happening. They saw the trend. They saw the threat and they built businesses to rise up into that. So what I think is relevant to the psychedelic space in particular, and these various players that are starting to pop up is the attractor point of decentralization. Right. And I, I'm not an expert on decentralization, but essentially it's, it's essentially demolishing centralized institutions that hold on to an inordinate amount of power and enabling that power to disperse into the, into hands of more and more and more individuals. So essentially, mm -hmm. how do we help more and more individuals, nodes within the mycelial network, if you will, become more intelligent, become more aware, become healthier, become more powerful. All these things that we're working on with Third Wave and that I talked about earlier in the podcast, right? How do we enable the individual to be fully self-expressed, to be fully sovereign, to rise into their full potential? So this attractor point of decentralization. So if we look at the current companies in the psychedelic space, those who do the best job at creating networks, those who do the best job at getting attention, those who do the best job of creating platforms that integrate things like personalized medicine, 
and cryptocurrency and all these other sort of blockchain technology, all these emerging decentralized technologies, those will be the most successful companies in the long term. Mm. Those who try to, and again, those who try to patent grab, like what Compass Pathways is doing, and a lot of other companies too, it's not just Compass, um, but a lot of other companies are also trying to, to patent grab. My strong belief is that, again, the future is decentralized, the future is open source, the future is peer-to-peer. So if the future is decentralized, the future is open source, the future is peer-to-peer, then any company that attempts to create a model of business around patenting molecules, I think will be successful in the short to midterm, but will not have a sustainable business model that will allow them to be successful in the long term. Mm. So in terms of companies that are set up well right now, that are developing ecosystems that aren't based on patents, um, Field Trip is one. And I do like Field Trip. I think I like what they're doing. So smart investment choice. Numinous is another one. I think what they're doing is fantastic. And they have a great sort of integrated ecosystem model as a publicly traded company. I don't like, even though I'm an advisor to Cybin and even though I know Cybin and like, I still, I don't yet have a full understanding of Cybin. I get the sense that they're going more the biotech clinical route. But um, I'm a believer in them because of the team that they built and who they have on board. I still don't understand their business model well enough to get a sense of if they fit within that sort of decentralized peer-to-peer ecosystem build, so to say. Um, but I'm still bullish on Cybin. I think they're, they're a strong play. And I would say... So those are three public companies. I would say the, privately, the private companies that I anticipate paying or that I would recommend paying attention to. One is Synthesis. Um, They're developing, they're doing some really cool stuff in terms of how they're setting up their business model. They've rolled out this phenomenal practitioner training. You know, we've already done retreats for 750 people for psilocybin. They're looking at, you know, they're working with the local health authorities in Oregon to develop the, the psilocybin, legalizing psilocybin therapy initiative. So Synthesis is great. MindBloom is developing a really interesting direct-to-consumer model, um, which is super interesting and I think is very scalable. And I think they're right into that decentralization model because they're not trying to own the ketamine. They're just trying to build a network. They're trying to build content. They're trying to build great protocols, uh, you know, a whole guide, group of guides, et cetera, et cetera. So I love what MindBloom is doing. Um, obviously, I'm a big fan of Third Wave for all the reasons that we talked about today, right? Like based on this vision of where I see things going, this is how I'm working to position Third Wave is essentially, you know, we want to be the platform for the psychedelic space, you know, the front door for the millions of people who need to learn about substances and find a great provider. And then also ensure that we have all the practitioners on the back end that we're helping to educate and build community around and all those sorts of things. We're not going to own any patents as it relates to drug development. Our IP will largely be built around software algorithms that help to customize a user journey for people who are interested in psychedelics. So essentially, if you come on our platform, you put in a few things, we'll spit out something that says, okay, based on these answers and responses, it's probably best that you start with 
ketamine therapy, MDMA therapy, psilocybin therapy, an ayahuasca retreat, a psilocybin retreat, working with an individual practitioner, whatever it is, we're building that whole matrices, Mm. all those matrices right now. Um, So, you know, I like that. Maya Health is doing great stuff. They're building software for practitioners. Do you know Adam, by the way, from Maya? He's the co-founder? Adam is not the co-founder, but he was actually on the journey with me. And um, and he was on Journey 7, and he's involved with Maya Health. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with them. And yeah, they're doing, they're doing cool things. And it's cool to see Tim, Tim get involved with Third Wave as well. And, and it's a big pickup. Yeah. We got a great team. Yeah. He's spoken so highly of you and what you guys are creating. Paul, I know, I know we're running out of time, brother. Um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to acknowledge you, man. Like in the short time that I've been following you and your work, uh, I'm, I'm so inspired and empowered to continue my own path. And I'm excited to see what ways we can collaborate uh, co-create and co-elevate together. And, you know, I'm here to support and serve in any way possible, man. And uh, just want to see if you had any final last words and, and make sure uh, to let everyone know where they can connect with you at. I'd say the best way to connect is Paul Austin 3W. That's Instagram, Twitter. Those are the ones that I'm usually on. Uh, I see you on Clubhouse a little bit too, yeah? Clubhouse a little bit as well. Yeah, I'm on Clubhouse a little bit as well. I think it's the same there, Paul Austin 3W. And then the thethirdwave.co is the platform, thethirdwave.co. And then my personal website is paulaustin.co. And I think that's it. You know, we talked about a lot of things, which you could probably put in the show notes, but it's been, this has been a really cool conversation. I appreciate you letting me go. Uh, you know, I, I love to kind of jump around and, and then tie things together in a nice little bow. And I feel like the questions that you asked did a great job of, of guiding it. So I just appreciate you reaching out and, you know, hosting this platform and podcast and interview. And it was just a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit and, and drop in. Hell yeah, bro. I can't wait to continue connecting. We got to get you on TikTok too, man. Cause we got to get on TikTok. Yeah. yeah third wave is going to blow up on there. And, and a yeah. lot of people are looking for support in their health and healing journey. So everyone, you know what to do. You know, knowledge is not power. Knowledge is potential power. It requires your implementation, your action of all of these mind bombs that that Paul shared with us today. So I took a lot of notes and I hope those of you listening and watching did the same. Much love. You already know what time it is. It's time to elevate your awareness and thrive. Much love, fam. Peace. Holy shit, podcast fam. I don't know about you, but that was one of the most fascinating, enjoyable, and transformational conversations that I've had on this podcast. And I hope that you got value. I hope that you were able to open up your mind a little bit to some of the ideas that Paul and I spoke about in today's show. Now, we link to everything that we touched on in the show notes, including my free microdosing course. I really wanted to create something that provided a lot of education on the topic because so many people have messaged me about this And I think, number one, people need guidance. People need 
to know more information before deciding if this is something that they want to implement into their life. And that's why I created this. It's 100% free. It's not any funnel or gimmick or anything like that. You literally just have to put your name and email and you get access to it. I really worked hard with my team to create something meaningful that I felt like would go a step above the normal free offerings out there because usually people put free stuff out as a PDF or or something, you know, to get you hooked for a higher ticket product. But this was simply to add as much value as possible. There's like five videos in there, 30 minutes or so of content with some PDFs that I think will be really helpful for you if you're curious about diving deeper and learning more about microdosing. And I'm so grateful for you and your energy, honestly for listening until the end of the show, like it means the world to me. And, you know, I'd love to reciprocate and show love. So DM me on Instagram and let me know what was the biggest takeaway from the show or shout shout out the show and tag me on your story. And let me know, like, what is something that you learned? What is something that you plan on implementing? And I'll definitely reply back. I'll maybe even hook you up with some free merch. Just maybe, you won't know, unless you take action. All right, fam, I love you so much. You already know what time it is. It's time to unleash your potential and thrive.